Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance. In today's episode, we're speaking with Dustin Paisley, co-founder of Calgary-based Local Laundry. If that name doesn't ring a bell, you've likely seen their clean and simple trademark YYC design on shirts and other garments. That design alone has gone global. And as Dustin shares with us, it's become a catalyst for making friends in far-off places. In this interview, Dustin takes us through both the highs and lows of starting and growing what was originally just a t-shirt company. All of their products are responsibly made in Canada, and core to their business is community building. So how about their struggles and successes? How have they managed through COVID, cash crunches, and the unexpected changes in retail? Dustin takes us through all of this. And be sure to listen right to the end as we jump back in to include a bit of a discussion we had about imposter syndrome. It's really insightful. Now, if you're considering starting a business, Dustin has some invaluable advice for you. And if you're already at the helm of a multi-hundred million or billion dollar company, this will be a walk down memory lane. Now, enjoy the show. Dustin, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Corey. I'm happy to be here. Yes, you have a Calgary success story, a growing Canadian success story with your company, Local Laundry, and I'm really looking forward to learning more about it and just really spreading the story. So the best place for us to start with it is an intro on yourself and a bit of background on the company. So I'll hand it over to you. Sure. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, I appreciate you calling it a a success. We've had quite the road and it's been really incredible so far. So I I guess a little bit of background about me and kind of where where my journey started. And I will go back in case you've got any young listeners, I'll go back to high school because in high school, I was a complete degenerate, had no bright future, no teachers had any expectations of me. Love it. Perfect. Yeah, (laughs) really, really didn't expect me to go anywhere. And uh, turns out, you know, got into university finally, uh, started taking entrepreneurship. And I guess that's what I was missing in high school was that kind of alternate thinking, the entrepreneurship mindset and, and really kind of taking your own approach, right? I started studying entrepreneurship at a university called Mount Royal University here in Calgary. In my view, one of the best universities there is for entrepreneurship. It's been uh, incredible to see the companies and the success stories that have come out of that program. We're not talking about you know any massive unicorns, but we're talking about a lot of businesses that have started up, uh, multiple businesses from from individuals who have graduated from the program. So they're doing something pretty incredible there. But while at the university, you know, I, I took an attempt at a few different companies, one that was in the promotional space that you paid for a tuition or a semester to a tuition, which was nice as a, as a university student to get a little bit of extra cash in your pocket. And then another one, which is a bit more of a startup that uh, ultimately didn't make it forward. We invented a, a novel tent concept, but ran into some uh, some large players who had patents in the space. And as students, not really a battle we wanted to take on. So 
Uh, long story short, ended up graduating and uh, working for the university for the entrepreneurship program. And it's there that I ended up meeting my co-founder for Local Laundry and really just had a passion for entrepreneurship. I did social entrepreneurship classes, business classes, and really found kind of a niche or an interest for me was how I could use business as a tool to try and create some positive change or positive impact in the community. And when I met my co-founder for Local Laundry, we really gelled on that. So we ultimately launched what's now called Local Laundry. And really what the business was at the start was we identified a gap in the market for Calgary having a local clothing company. A lot of the trends at the time were local craft beer, food to table, you know, this really big trend for people supporting local. Uh, And Calgary is a big city known to want to support local. It's a very entrepreneurial city. And so we launched the YYC brand or Local Laundry. We became known as the YYC brand. And there was a gap in the market at the time. There really was no other local clothing brand. And that's how we got our start. And since then, we've just continued to evolve and grow and try and figure out, you know, where our place in this very crowded fashion or or clothing market is and try and find how we can continue to kind of build and make that impact. From the very beginning, the whole goal was to donate 10% of profits back to local charities. But we've realized since getting into the clothing space, there's a lot more opportunity to do good. There's a lot of negativity in the industry around kind of where things are from, how things are produced, just the environmental damages. And so we've worked slowly but surely every single year to try and make a bit more of a better impact. But it's been an incredible journey so far. We're seven years in and we think we've got a long ways to go. There's a lot to unpack here already. And I love the scrappy startup of not a technology company, but of a physical products company. You know, there's something really interesting there and there's... The tangibility of it, I just love. But I think it's also very cool that you guys are doing something where you've intentionally put forward a a do-good concept, not just throw the profits in and grow, grow, grow. So take us down this road of the ups and downs, because I mean, that's part of entrepreneurship. So as I understand, you guys pretty much bootstrapped this from like 25 bucks of a startup to doing several million in revenue. That road has not been a, you know, just a perfect highway. So tell me about it. Take us through those journeys. Sure. Yeah. So one of the best parts about the story is, is the company was founded off of Google search, which was how to start a t-shirt company. And so that Google search, you know, typical millennial ultimately led to a YouTube video, watch the YouTube video. And this, this was my co-founder who watched the YouTube video. And one day later, having gotten a free Shopify subscription, a 14 day trial, uh, launched an online store, link that to an online fulfillment provider based out of the States who would take whatever design you put on your website and put the product on your website, it would take it and digitally print it. So ultimately, we were able to spin up a company for the cost of the domain name, which was locallaundry.ca at the time. You could do it for free, but we wanted the domain name. That was important. So you know, it cost us about 12 bucks and there was a few other pieces in there, but very, very, very low cost. And to anyone that's starting a company, I mean, that's a great way to test your market, right? We we didn't know if there was demand. We didn't know what how well it would be received. Um, so it was able to, to be able to test it for a very low cost. But we started the company for, for basically less than 25 bucks. Didn't really have to invest big money until we started to grow a little bit bigger and start to take on some of our own production. So we started with that $25 and every sale we made, that profit would just be rolled back into the company. Uh, my co-founder at the time, we both had full-time jobs. So we had no intention of pulling any money out of the company. Everything was just reinvested back in until the point where we actually caught some attention. We grew pretty quickly on social media, caught some attention of some local retailers, and we had a few stores reach out that actually wanted to carry our product. So we had to move from on-demand, no inventory, to now all of a sudden we needed to have some inventory locally so that we could 
supply these stores. And, you know, that was pretty messy because it was half inventory because we weren't committed to buying all of it, but we still had some products that were online on demand. So you'd have a customer that would order a hat, which we're doing locally at the time, and then a black YYC t-shirt. So the t-shirt would come from LA, but then we'd have to ship the hat from Calgary. And so there was a little bit of messiness there as we kind of outgrew the the on-demand. But ultimately, I think the maximum put in the company was about a thousand bucks. And that was to kickstart that first inventory order for our local wholesale stores. But as you mentioned, right, it's a product business. It's not a SaaS business or a software business. You know, those are very heavy upfront costs. But for us, it's always just been every penny that we've made gets reinvested back into the company to fuel growth. And for my business partner, it was about two and a half years before he was able to quit his job, be able to take salary and go full-time in the business. And we actually ended up hiring someone before I went full-time and it, it took me about five years. So again, a lot of evenings, a lot of weekends, a lot of time put in, in order to make sure that we were, you know, keeping the company afloat, not pulling money out when we needed to and making sure that the bootstrapped was able to be sustainable. Yeah. So, you know, I actually just want to step back for the listeners that I, before even ever meeting you or knowing your company, I knew the YYC t-shirts or the YYC hoodies. It was a very unique design. It was so simplistic. It celebrated our city. And I was just like, that's pretty cool but not knowing where they came from. So I just wanted to help paint the picture and visualize for our listeners. But the point that I'm hearing here is you guys are, are you know, an overnight success and, you know, it's still building, but takes a little minimum five years. But there's the point that building companies like this is never perfect. It's like you just have to accept the, the chaos that is. And I think that that's perhaps a lesson that I doubt you got that in, in entrepreneurship and when you're in school. No. If there's anyone out there studying business, I highly encourage everyone to start a business because you will learn so much. And so much of that is applicable to any job that you're going to go in. It looks pretty great on a resume too, if that's what you're looking to do, ultimately land a job. But it's definitely not easy, right? It, it comes with its challenges. We were very fortunate. We definitely hit on a trend and we hit on timing. We were very, very, very lucky with timing. There was a need for a local Calgary clothing company for people to proudly represent where they were from. And and timing wise, yes, it was trend for local. It was trend for people wanting to support local, but it was also trend for Calgary because, you know, for anyone in Calgary in 2015 uh, or investor in oil and gas in 2015, there was a bit of a downturn, right? So Calgary was definitely feeling the pain. and, And at the time, people really wanted to band together to show support for their city and really showcase that, you know, even though some of us are feeling down and out, we're, we're still proud to call Calgary home. So there was a little bit of local pride there that I think was happening a little bit more than usual because of that. So we definitely got lucky. And I think, I do think that's a component of any business, right? There is some timing. There is some luck involved. Now, I do believe you create your own luck and we've worked very hard to get to where we are. But in terms of the timing, we definitely took off a little bit and social media played a huge role. These were the early days of Instagram before Meta, you know, quote unquote, ruined it. They made it easy to be able to organically grow and collaborate with other businesses and really, really be able to reach your target customer. And so the combination of that design, which really is now iconic, it's trademarked, it's famous. That's what most people know us by is the YYC brand if they don't know who Local Laundry is. But that design really kickstarted it all. And it's very big, very bold, very in your face, hard to miss, easy to recognize. And so again, some of the early components of you you would see that from far away, you'd know exactly what it is. 
and you go, oh, that's a cool shirt. Yeah, I, I love one of those. I love YYC. And so it's been cool. And there's been a lot of really neat stories of people wearing their YYC stuff all over the world and connecting to either Calgarians or Canadians abroad. Uh, one of the best ones actually being my brother who wore his Canada hat, uh, same, same kind of design, but he wore it to Mount Everest Base Camp. And someone recognized that logo because they were from Calgary. And so they struck up a conversation and started to, to have a chat at one of the most remote places in the world, the base camp of Mount Everest. And all of a sudden, they, they were able to kind of form this community between the two of them because of the recognized logo, which is really neat. That's really cool. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, I 100% agree with you. I think everybody should start their business. In fact, I think that, and this is going far, but we would be better off in a world where everyone was their own free agent. You weren't employees in the sense that it put the purpose and the impetus on the individual to go out there and provide value. And now mm -hmm. that's a huge different philosophy than we're going to go down right now. I don't think it's applicable entirely here, but for those interested in starting their business, it can be incredibly rewarding, but it also comes with the hardships and you know the scar tissue. I truly believe that the hardest memories are, you know, or the hardest times make the sweetest memories. Take us through that. Tell me about some of the scar tissue that you've got from from hard times. Sure. I think for us, we've had a pretty fortunate journey. I think a lot of companies start, they launch their concept, and then it's really boots to the ground, find your customers, market yourself, get the word out there, and try and as much as you can bring in revenue to keep the lights on once you've started. Again, we were very fortunate. You know, we never had to be really good at sales. We were really good at creating content and marketing, but again, timing and trend, it took off. So we never had to be really good at selling the product because for the first couple of years, the product sold itself. And then once that sort of novelty wore off and, and people got used to the design and, you know, sales started to slow a little bit, we slowly had to start to build our customer base outside of Calgary. And we obviously had to come up with you know, new designs, new products, new everything. But for a while there, you know, as a first time, really a first time entrepreneur in a business that was growing and doing well and, and, and successful, we learned a couple hard lessons in, hey, businesses don't sell themselves. You guys are actually just really lucky the first time that you hit, you hit big and it, it kind of did itself. And so we had to learn all those lessons pretty late on. And you know, at the time we, we had overhead, we had employees, we had, we had people that were counting on us. And so we had to quickly figure that out. And COVID, the ensuing supply chain crisis, the ensuing inflation and war in Ukraine, all the factors that we've seen since 2020, we, we've basically been in survival mode since then. You know, 2020, 65% of our customer base was retail selling to wholesale. When all of retailers closed their doors, you know, obviously all that revenue went away. So very quickly, we had to kind of reinvent ourselves and figure out what we were going to do. Fortunately, we were set up for e-commerce, so we pivoted a little bit to that. But there was still a lot of lost revenue that we had to make up. And so those challenges were um, you know, something that were, were a bit of a struggle to get to. And we managed to, I don't like the word pivot, but we managed to find some alternative revenue sources and, and change the business. And I think in some hands, it forces you to do some of the things that you were maybe putting off or didn't want to. It, it accelerates those. And so you're, you're kind of forced to make some of those difficult decisions. So yeah, there's definitely been a lot of challenges and scars along the way. Probably most recently, last year was kind of our biggest cash crunch that we came into. We saw a huge slowdown in sales last year. This is right around the time a lot of the inflation concerns were hitting, you know, the war in the Ukraine broke out. And when there's that kind of instability in the world, people don't like to make decisions, right? It, it just kind of people pause, they don't really like to move forward. 
And so we had a huge slowdown in business and uh, things looked pretty bleak. And coincidentally, at the same time, we were just building out our first warehouse. We'd always worked in the manufacturer in Toronto. They fulfilled for us. And so here we go as a company, you know, making our biggest expense ever building out this warehouse. Plus we had two other pretty large investments in growth in, in certain areas of business and things just completely slowed down. And so had to really, really try and dig deep and figure out how we were going to pull through it. Uh, it was biggest crash crunch that we've ever faced to the point where you know we were doing weekly cash flow to make sure we knew every penny that was coming and going and, and really really keeping an eye on that for a small team like ours where we've got you know three people weekly cash flow has never really happened but at that period it was absolutely essential we had to make sure we knew where every penny was going and and how we were going to be able to pay all our bills so that was definitely a struggle and managed to get through that but again all these challenges that you go through it it, it makes you better right you learn a lot you really have to learn you learn a lot about yourself and you learn a lot about your business and i think you come out stronger i mean really that's the only way to grow is to be broken down and to be able to rebuild yourself so yeah there's definitely some challenges but you get back up a little bit stronger Hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, it was this kind of turn of events that pushed you into the world of now doing kind of custom garment for different mm -hmm. companies. And I remember when we did a pre-call and got acquainted and it's like, oh, that sounds really interesting, but it's coming together in the sense that as I understand, you guys were looking for options. You got forced into having to do other things than just, you know, try to sell through a retail channel or whatever that may be. And you identified the opportunity to go and sell these like, kind of custom garments, brand custom garments, but higher quality ones that we just don't turn into like, you know, swag painting shirts kind of thing. So tell me about that because I really like that. To me, I'm like, oh, that's something I would want. Yeah. And this is probably the case for a lot of companies where, you know, the products or the services that we now know and love probably came out of necessity or came out of something that just was an accident completely. And so that was the case for us, right? And in March, 2020, when all the retailers closed the doors, we had to figure out where we were going to make up that lost revenue. And one of the pieces that people would always ask us is, Hey, I love your company. I love your sweaters. Can I print my logo on them? And at the time we were a retail company. We're like, no, we're a retail company. We don't do that. Sorry. We have the privilege to say no to that kind of business. But you know, when you lose all your revenue, that privilege goes away. And so we went back to a couple of the people. I should say we did one or two because they were big opportunities. It was a good paycheck. And we're like, you know what? Yeah, we, we can make that work. But we went back to a few that we had said no to in the past. And we're like, hey, we're, we're interested in doing this now. Do you want to, are you still interested? And they're like, yeah, great. Fantastic. We've been, we've been waiting for this. We'd love to. And so slowly but surely, we started to get a bunch of customers who wanted our stuff, right? Our neck tags, our clip labels, but they just wanted their logo on it. And at the time it was just money in the door. Okay, perfect. Let's do it. Let's get it done. And that turned into a couple more orders, couple more orders. And then we ended up landing Shaw. When they launched Shaw Mobile, we outfitted every single Shaw employee in the country in a Canadian made, responsibly made local garment, whether that was a t-shirt, a fanny pack or a hat. And it was fascinating to me. And obviously that was very eye-opening. That was a very large deal. But we looked at that and said, maybe there's an opportunity here. And so we started to ask, you know, why are you wanting to print on our stuff, right? It's five to 10 times the cost of some of the other promotional stuff. Like, Why are you printing on ours? And they go, there's no other option for really good quality, locally made, responsibly made products out there in the promotional space. And so we dug in a little bit deeper and realized that there was a gap. And so since then, we've transitioned and actually majority of our business now is custom. We still have the retail brand. We'll, we'll never get rid of the YYC. We still do you know, some wholesale deals, some, some e-commerce. But the primary revenue driver for us now is the custom stuff because 
there is no other company in Canada like ours that has this retail presence, that has this charitable brand that's giving back, that's building community, that's responsibly made, that's actually manufactured here with really high quality in Canada that is supplying the promotional industry. And since then, we've been able to onboard some incredible customers. We, we've done work with RBC, with ATV here locally in, in Calgary, Petro Canada, Intuit. You know, we just did some stuff for TikTok Canada. There's not a lot of options out there for responsibly made, locally made stuff. And so accidentally, or I guess by survival, we sort of stumbled into this opportunity, which is now proving to be a really incredible opportunity for us. It's awesome. It brings me to the saying, quote, the best way to be successful in business is to be in business. And, you know, you're duking it out and and then, hell, like, you know, a, a phone call of saying, hey, we actually, you still want to do this? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's very cool to hear. How about taking me into the community giving? Because I'll, I'll be honest, I've never been a big fan of those companies that say, you know, we give X percent away. It feels like a bit of a grab. But that's my first blush, not a grab, but a bit of a, just kind of a token, oh, you know, you should like us because of, mm-hmm. but I think you guys go deeper. There's, there's more to it than that. So talk to me about the kind of the social aspect of your company. Yeah. So we used to say that we would give 10% of profits back to local charities. Uh, we stopped saying that because we've given far more than 10% of our profits to local charities. And it's been a balance, right? We're bootstrapped. So every penny in the company counts because that goes back into growing inventory, growing the business, growing overhead salary. So we're conscious of that, right? But fortunately, we've been able to raise you know over $175,000. We've got a goal to raise a million. And we chose a million dollars at the time because it was a cool milestone separated us from anyone else. And it was a big number. I'm pretty confident we can hit that by 2030. But it's more than just the numbers and the giving back. For us, it's really important. We've spent a lot of time and effort building a community here in Calgary. Number one, a small business community. And it's important for us to showcase that just because you're a small business doesn't mean that you can't have an impact. Financially, yes, is one way to do that. But secondary to that, we've got our our five pillars of building community. So it's more than just giving money away. A big part of what we do is trying to build community around Calgary, around what we're doing. And so there's a number of different ways in which we can do that. Typically, that comes in the form of collaborations. So we do a lot of different collaborations with different photographers, different small businesses. For a long time, our Instagram feed wasn't just this cool fashion Instagram feed. It was a collaboration and a collective. It was showcasing other small businesses, other entrepreneurs in the cities and giving them a platform to be able to showcase their story. And really, it comes down to our our everyday decisions. Our North Star has always been we're a business that's about building community. And so when it comes to decision-making, having that North Star really helps because we can say, is this decision in the best interest of building community? And so it's not about who's right or wrong between me or, or my, my other co-founder, my business partner. You know, Those can sometimes be challenging because there's a difference of opinions. But when we have at the forefront, we're all about building community. Is this in the best interest of building community? It doesn't matter who's wrong or right or who has the better idea. Who has the best idea in terms of our customers in the best interest of building community? And I think a lot of that stems from the Calgary entrepreneurship community. It's incredibly open. It's incredibly responsive and it's incredibly giving back. Anytime I have a question or I want to reach out to another entrepreneur for coffee, I don't have a problem being able to talk to someone. Everyone is very giving. Everyone's really willing to share And so as we kind of became leaders in this space, we felt it was a bit of an obligation ourselves to be able to play a role in that as well. And so we've hosted, we host a a meetup called Startup and Beers, where we have 
an email list of, of hundreds of small business owners. And we, every once in a while, we bring everyone together. And it's kind of like a matchmaking where we just want to get people in a room. There's no business cards. Everyone has to introduce themselves and everyone has to say what, what their challenge is. So everyone knows each other. And there's a bit of matchmaking where we try and get you know everyone who needs to talk to someone else and learn from someone else. We've also launched a business basketball club. So if you're into sports and not networking and you want to meet other entrepreneurs, people in business, Great. We'll play basketball. And then there's also a book club. So if you want to learn more about business and you want to get involved, there's a book club. So there's a lot of different facets of kind of building this community. And for us, it's more geared towards the small business community. But there's a lot of facets within that we truly hold true to building community. It's not just a marketing slogan on the website. It's a core function of our business. I've heard the North Star referenced a number of times in the interviews I've had. And when it comes down to having those pillars or that one singular focus and and to use that, you want to settle an argument, which supports that, right? Like it helps with that dialogue. It helps with the focus and on and on. So interesting to hear you use that point and, and the, the building of community there. I want to put a plug in for the, the Calgary entrepreneurship community for Alberta as entrepreneurs. I was just on a flight yesterday. I was talking with a gentleman who's built and sold a number of oil and gas companies. And we were talking about the difference between entrepreneurial cultures among cities. Vancouver is a lot of new money and a lot of external money that's come in and really kind of overnight, call it 20 years, made a lot of people rich in things like real estate. Very different culture there. You go to Toronto, you've got a lot of old money. You've got a lot of family money. Nepotism runs deep. Whereas you come to Alberta, and that's the West. That's where you have to go and just get dirty and get things done. And there's a culture there that you can go and talk to people and just put an ask out. And it's really supportive that way. So it's neat to hear you say that. It's incredibly supportive. There was a study done by a company called Startup Genome, and it was done for primarily tech ecosystems. So they studied tech ecosystems across the world. So they've done Silicon Valley, Tel Aviv, Barcelona, Amsterdam, London, Calgary. So there's a study done in Calgary. And one of the highest scores among any city that they've done this with was local connectedness. And Calgary scored the highest, which is fascinating because we're not, we're not a huge tech hub, right? Where we're not known as a big tech hub, but somehow Calgary scored the highest among local connectedness. And I think that speaks volumes, especially when you're comparing us to places like Silicon Valley or tell like these massive, massive tech hubs around the world, Berlin, and Calgary scores one of the highest. That speaks volumes to the fact that it is a supportive community. It's not, you know, me versus you. It's not old money versus new money. And, you know, we're, we're on different paths. It's, hey, we're all in this together. You're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. I respect that. I don't care where you're from. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care about your background. I care about you rolling up your sleeves and getting to work now because really that's all that matters. And so I found that to be fascinating. Very cool. Talk to me about how you and your team strategize and then plan. And even can you even take me into weekly meetings? And this is a question that's just come to mind. And I'm curious about how you guys plan and operate and even the tools that you use. Sure. So we self-implemented a, a system called EUS a couple of years ago. EUS gotcha. standing for Entrepreneur Operating System. Yeah, Traction. Yeah. I got the book back there. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's been great. Great system. Really like it. You know, it means we've got our, our L10, our level 10, which is your leadership meet, your leadership team meets once a week. For us, we're a very small business, so our leadership team is very small. But we utilize that system as our way to kind of track everything, keep us in line and grow. And so within the system... You've got quarterly rocks, quarterly priorities. 
every quarter you meet to decide on you know which rocks are going to be the most important, which are going to push you to that one-year goal, the three-year goal. And so you set goals kind of years out. And so we revisit the rocks every quarter and we make sure every week in our weekly meeting that we're touching on, okay, what are our rocks for this quarter? Are we on track or off track? Within that, what are our weeklies, right? What do we need to be doing every week? And then I think the biggest challenge for us was really figuring out that weekly scorecard. And I think we're now in a position where we're, we're happy with that scorecard, but that one probably took us the longest. But in terms of planning and strategizing, that's really it. We meet every quarter. We figure out what our quarterly rocks are, what our priorities are for the quarter. And then every week we are meeting to figure out, are we on track or off track? And what are we focused on this week? What does our weekly scorecard look like? And are we in a good position, right? Green or red? That's yeah, really interesting to hear. And we use the same system. And I thought like our little team, there's, you know, core, there's three of us, but we sat down in kind of late December, early January to really kind of plan out the year. And it was so refreshing to almost clear the mind, having known we've put down what our one, three and 10 year goals are and the vision there. And so that was really good. And then something else that we've done is gone and gotten rid of all of those tools that are so sexy, Slack and Asana and Monday and you know what I mean? On and on and on. And we just went straight back to spreadsheets. And I mean, you're smiling and nodding. I don't know if you've done the same, but I just got so fed up of how convoluted it was trying to figure out what the hell we're supposed to do today. And so we ditched it and went back to a spreadsheet and I don't think we'll ever go back. Yeah, agreed. I will say, I'll give a plug to EOS. They do have a great software. If you're on the EOS system, they've got a software that runs exactly right. It's you record your meetings, whether it's L10 or strategy, it keeps your quarterly rocks in place. It keeps your weekly to-dos in place. So it's a great system, but I agree with you. We did the same. We used Monday. We had a couple others and we scrapped them all and said, look, let's just go back to spreadsheets. And so every week, everything we do is in a spreadsheet. And personally, I love it because everything's in one place, right? You've got your scorecard, which is your weekly. You'll, You'll edit that every week. On another tab, you've got your weekly to-dos and you've got your your issues. And then on another tab, something that we've implemented, we've learned this year that we are, we ran through kind of a team analysis, a team test, and we scored low on accountability. And, uh, you know, I can see why it's just me and my business partner who are accountable to each other and it's easy to let each other off the hook. And so we implemented something called an accountability buddy. And so we actually share a warehouse with another company. And so we got the, the founder of that company to join us. And so every two weeks, we have accountability buddy meetings and we've got three or four line items each that we're committed to doing within our priorities to commit to doing within the next two weeks. And so far, no one's missed. We've done about four of them so far. If you do miss, you know, there's a very, very, very sour jaw dropper that's waiting for you as a punishment for uh, for missing <laughs> missing your accountability nice. buddy. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, that's been super helpful in terms of keeping us accountable, keeping us on track for what our priorities are. But the spreadsheet has worked fantastic. Nice one. I really like to hear that you've gone back to spreadsheets and just tab to tab. You know, that's kind of where we found ourselves. And it just, it wasn't, you didn't even look it up. It was just almost necessity out of frustration. So talking about goals and vision and what you're looking to accomplish, and then also about community that we have. And frankly, we do have it globally. It's been, this podcast has been amazing that people I've been able to connect with. And then from there, connect them with others. And no promises here, but I am curious if you had an ask for the vision and goals that you have for your company, what would that ask be? Sure. So our ask right now is we want to talk to more people in corporations. We've just started down this path of trying to 
flipped the script, uh, at least within our company, into doing more custom. And so to give a bit of background to that, uh, custom has always been on the side. It's always been inbound. And that's pretty incredible because we've done probably over $2 million in custom sales so far. And that's all inbound, zero outbound sales. We've done very little to promote that and to, to, to go out and do sales campaigns on that in general. So that's all been inbound. And that's been, we believe, a result of our, our retail brand. But we're going through a really fascinating program right now, again, out of Mount Royal University. It's, it's called the Growth Catalyst Program. And it's similar to kind of scaling up methodology, right? Where it's taking companies that are, you know, certain number of over a million dollars in revenue, but they want to grow to 10 to 20, right? Aspirations. So there's a lot of programs out there, accelerator programs. If you want to start a business, it'll teach you how to flush through the idea and how to get to that launch or how, how to launch. There's not a lot of programs that get you through the scaling part, right? So you're an established business and you want to grow. How do you do that? So all that to say through this program has been really fascinating. It's, it's forced us to challenge a lot of our assumptions. And one of those assumptions being that custom has been driven from retail. But when we started to do some surveys and some data collection and, and actually analyze that data, we realized that it's actually not all coming from retail. A lot of it's coming from referral, from Google search, and just cold outreach because people are looking for, hey, I work at a company. I want to buy some made in Canada made in Canada swag or made in Canada merch. And there's not a lot of options. So we pop up. So in that, we're now trying to define, okay, well, who are our target customers in the custom side? How do we start to do more outbound and start to do more marketing and sales to these people? And so just throughout that whole process, we're starting to now test all of our assumptions in the space. And we have a lot of them, right? Our assumption is people are purchasing us because we're in line with their ESG goals, right? Is that true? Are they purchasing it because we're made in Canada? Are they purchasing us because of our charitable aspect? Is it our community building? So there's a lot of assumptions within there and trying to figure out what are the corporation's needs in terms of merch and how quickly are they wanting to move to a more responsible supply chain? So that's one of the trends we're seeing right now is is companies are under a little bit more pressure to have a more responsible supply chain or a more local supply chain. I've got a question for you. And sure. Not to you know force my own narrative on you here, but when I look at the work you're doing, I just feel it's just such a a joke that companies go out and get the cheapest shirts they can. They slap their fancy brand logo on it, and it just becomes something. You know, people either use it as a pajama or use it to paint with. And so, what I hear, what I see is like, if I had a really nice garment that's not going to get pilled up and just become you know a donation that had a brand name on it, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of brand value there. Is that part of your value proposition that you're selling as well? Or is that something you're testing? It absolutely is. We've done a lot of messaging around stop making pajamas for your employees, right? We see it too, unfortunately, within kind of the fashion industry. And I would say traditionally company swag kind of falls within this, but there are mountains and mountains of clothes that are dumped in all places throughout the world, in Africa, in the deserts, in Chile. And a lot of this comes from stuff that people don't really want. So one thing we've kind of learned is not everyone wants a really, really basic, uncomfortable, boxy, just low quality t-shirt with the company logo slapped across it, right? They wear it once for their volunteer event and then it's gone. They get rid of it completely. And so that's one of the pieces of feedback that we've got is the employees love the shirts, right? The quality is, it's unmatched and they'll wear it again and again and again. And so from a brand recognition, that's super valuable because now your brand is being worn a lot more. Employees are happier because they've got a way nicer piece of sweater, t-shirt, you know, whatever they're wearing. 
and they're wearing it into the office more. So they're kind of contributing back to that employee culture. So there's a lot of kind of value propositions that we hit on. What we're trying to figure out is based on the customer, you know, what is the most important value proposition to them? And so we're, we're kind of starting to hone in on a few of those. Every company is different. Every industry is different. But primarily, some of the biggest ones are it's, it's a really high quality piece that the employees love, right? They've never had something like this before from their company. So that's a win for the company. It is more responsibly made, right? It's more sustainable. It's made in Canada. It's local. And then the other one is it's charitable and it gives back. So our, our company does a lot around the charitable. We have something called the giving garments. So for every two can pair of socks we sell, we donate one to a shelter. So we do a lot of corporate hats and that's a big seller for them that they get to give to their employees. And there's a feel good aspect to that too. So there's a couple different value propositions there that we hit on that differ for company. But again, I guess my ask would be anyone that's in that space, you know, I'd love to talk to them to figure out you know, what is that value proposition within your company. And the big piece that we're really trying to move into or understand more of is the ESG side. Because again, from environmental and social governance, us being a promotional partner or us being a supplier to your company merch, we're kind of fitting within that ESG bucket. And it's a great story to be able to tell, but also from a metrics perspective, you know, what do you require? Because we've done a product lifecycle analysis. We've done a lot of research on, you know, the end life. And so we've done a lot of research in that to figure out if we can quantify and come up with a metric that's here's the impact you've actually had by purchasing a local laundry corporate garment versus, you know, a generic run of the mill, wherever you got your last one from. Love it. Love it. I'm jumping all over the place here. Let's talk about working capital management and it can make or break a company, right? And, mm -hmm. and so, especially within a, within a company like yours. So how do you guys go through that? And, and what exercises do you have to make sure that you got enough there? And let's actually give, uh, I want to give context to this question. Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon. So he originally founded West Beach, which he sold to another, you know, another firm, can't remember, Billabong, or, you know, one of the larger organizations they bought it under their umbrella. The day he sold it, he didn't have enough money in his bank account to pay payroll, not because he wasn't profitable, but because he was in a cash crunch due to working capital issues of being in the clothing business. So under that kind of, you know, with that kind of context, how are you guys managing and how do you work through this? Yeah. I mean, there's a reason it took me five years to go full time. And for a long time, I felt like a fraud because I'm like, yeah, I'm the founder of a company, but I work at a bank. <laughs> People who weren't in entrepreneurship didn't understand. People who were, and especially in the product business, they're like, yeah, okay, I get it. You know, if you have no outside debt, no outside investors, cash is king. And so when you think about it, just for a, you know, a very basic, let's say, you know, we put in a production thousand sweaters, right? We're paying usually a 50% deposit. And then you're paying the rest when it's complete. Then those sweaters are going to arrive to you. Then whatever your turnaround time is, you know, if you're not pre-selling those sweaters, or they're not moving out the door right away, that's cash that you're carrying in inventory until it gets sold. So that cash gap for us can be quite large. And especially when you start to introduce new SKUs and there's seasonality and especially in clothing, you know, it's not like you can have one SKU that's going to sit for a couple of years and people are going to continue buying it. You need fresh, you need new colors, new styles, new designs. So there's this constant churn. And so cash is so crucial. And you notice as you grow a product business, your cash requirement grows and grows with you, right? It's not like you get to a point where you're comfortable. No, if you have another growth period, it means that you need more inventory, more cash to fund that. So I think there's kind of two fundamental things that, that helps. Number one, 
if you are going to be a business owner or if you're going to be in the financial role, work at a bank for a short period of time because you will learn very quickly how other companies are doing it and you have to become the expert for them on how to help them through it. And so Hmm, again, circumstantial. I was very fortunate to work at a bank in the commercial space. Didn't mean to get there. I applied for manager of entrepreneurship. So it sounded like a cool title that turned out to just be commercial account manager. But I very quickly had to become the expert in finance and I had to help other companies get through their cash crunches. So I learned very quickly how to manage that. So that was number one. I learned what tools were available, how we could set ourselves up for success. And so we did that. But then number two, also got to learn circumstantial by people coming to the bank on how they navigated their cash flow challenges. And uh, obviously as a bank, you know, they're trying to protect their risks. So you're going to learn about a lot of strategies and a lot of things to watch for, to make sure that you're keeping tabs on your clients as well. So that was really key. Take me in there. There's gold within understanding of that. So what would yeah. you, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? What are the tools available to them? And then what are the banks, what are they going to lend on and what are they not going to lend on? And Sure. So number one, line of credit. Obviously, that's a no-brainer. Uh, for us, it's a revolving line. So it's tied to our deposit account. So if we write a check for 10000 bucks and we've only got 5000 in the bank, it's not going to bounce. It's going to take the 5000 for our account and then it's going to pull the next 5000 from our line of credit. So it's not like we have to watch our account balance every single day. We can have some comfort knowing that our line of credit is going to cover us forever short money on that. Obviously, if you're writing that credit high. You got to keep an eye on that because it's not going to go over that maximum. So that's number one. And that's something that I encouraged every single business owner that I came across because it's not an expensive product. And in the event that something happens, right? Someone misses payment or something comes late. You know, I, I have a, an invoice I emailed today. It's 79 days overdue. Companies aren't in a rush to pay you, right? <laughs> go figure. Yeah, uh, yeah. They want to hang on to their cash too. So that's some of the things you look at is, is you need to make sure you're protecting your cash. So that's one thing that I would advise to every single customer. Now, if you're growing really fast and you need a larger facility, there's a couple of things you can look at. Inventory is valuable and receivables are valuable. So you can actually, uh, you can lend against those. So typically 50% of inventory value, 75% of receivable value, that's going to change per company. But if, again, if you're a growing business and you've got 500,000 in outstanding accounts receivable, um, that's valuable, right? That's cash that that you need to be collecting sooner. And so having a bank lend against those facilities can be extremely valuable. The other thing for us too in EOS is having that weekly scorecard. So we'll have our financial numbers in that weekly scorecard, right? So every week I'll know what's my cash balance, what's my accounts payable, what's my accounts receivable, and what's my in-production, right? What does my cash snapshot look like right now? And are there any red flags? And you'll know on a weekly basis whether or not you're starting to trend down or trending up or just flat. And that's an important metric to know because if your bank comes to you because you're in a tight position, that that's not that's not great, right? You want to always be in the know and you want to catch it and go to your bank first to be like, hey guys, look, I'm coming into a crash crunch. Here's why. And and here's what I need help with to make sure that we can get to the other side. And it's funny you mentioned Chip Wilson because Another great book, uh, Phil Knight, Shoe Dog. Oh, man. Similar thing. Yeah. It's the Bible, right? And similar thing, he talks about having a million dollar facility and never being able to keep up to it. And I remember we read this pretty early on in the company and I was just thinking like, is this what we're getting into? Because yeah, he just, he could never have enough cash. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. When you look at Phil Knight and Nike, the company which he built, 
What I was left with after reading that book was he is the equivalent of the Tiger Woods of the, you name it, the top of the top when it comes to athletes. He is a corporate athlete because the razor's edge in which he was able to operate on every single day to create that company is just incredible, right? And so I think that that's something that, you know, people talk about, oh, I want to build a billion dollar company. It's like, okay, great. It's kind of like saying, well, I want to go beat Tiger Woods. Yeah, like it, exactly. is, it is a tall, tall order. And, you know, frankly, I'm getting a little philosophical here, but like, you know, if you're golfing and even if you're just in the pro-am or the amateur and you're, you're making some dope and you're living a really good life, if you're doing the equivalent of that while building a business, man, you can have a great life doing it. So it's, uh, that was some of the thinking that I had after reading Shoe Dog. I completely agree. I think growing up, you're in that mindset and maybe there's some ego there. Be like, yeah, I'm going I'm to build that kind of business. Like I, I'm going to be the next Nike. And then you read Shoe Dog and it's like, yeah, there's just a little bit of a, a cold slap of reality here because that that is a very large task. And he was incredible. And what I'm so amazed by is hey, the stories that came out of that and the fact that I don't know how he recounted all of that information put into the story. He must have journaled throughout the process, but fascinating read to anyone, even if you're not interested in business. But like you said, right, he's riding that line so hard. And that's, I think, one thing that people don't often talk about. Everyone will encourage you to be an entrepreneur, start a business. It's incredible. What they don't talk about is the challenges and the struggles. And, you know, I, I don't think he really gets into them much in, in Shoe Dog. It's always, you know, him building it and the incredible story of Nike. But on the downside of that, there's a lot of personal struggle that comes along with that. And that can be said for anything, right? Tiger Wood didn't become world number one in golf without his struggles and challenges. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there's a crazy amount of pressure and stress that comes with that because not only are you yourself and your livelihood is on the line, but the bigger you get, now all of a sudden you, you've got people relying on you. And in the case of Nike, it's, it's thousands. So when you're making those big decisions, it's easy to make that big decision when it's just you or two of you. You can make big swings. But as you get bigger, and especially as you get older, your, your ability to take those big swings goes down because now all of a sudden, I got a mortgage to think. I have kids to think about, right? I can't take this big swing for the fence anymore. And so you're right. There's, there's that lifestyle that comes into play as well. And so I commend Phil Knight on what he was able to do and, and the story behind that and how close to that line he was able to go. Because personally, I, I read that book and I went, that will not be me. I'm not willing to risk it all for the sake of becoming that next big company. I'm okay playing a little bit more safe so that I can sleep at night knowing that, you know, my kids can afford to go to daycare tomorrow or I, we're yeah. still going to be sleeping in this house next week. I was left with the same feeling. Like I really, you know, I enjoyed reading it, but came away going, you know what? I'm okay not going through that kind of stress. <laughs> and I'm very comfortable with building a kind of wealth that isn't, you know, that you're not encumbered by that kind of success. He talks a little bit too about family and how, you know, he, he missed a lot of his kids growing up. And, and so again, it goes back to values. And that, that's one thing I love about entrepreneurship is it's, it's malleable, right? We have an incredible opportunity in front of us and, and we could go a hundred miles an hour to sprint, but that's not the life we want to build. And when I look at my kids, I don't want to miss out on their, their growing up, right? I think right now we've got kids that are sort of similar age and it's precious. That time you cannot get back and they will only be young for so long. And so 
that's a really important part to, to our company as well as one of our core values is life first, right? Life happens first. We're not heart surgeons. We're selling t-shirts. And yeah, the work we're doing is important and we have an impact on the community, but we're not saving lives. So at the end of the day, you know, if my kid's sick and I got to be home with them, so be it, right? That's the reality. Or if, you know, we, my kids have been to the warehouse, right? They're having asthma that day. I don't want to send them to school. Yeah, you're coming to work. You can draw in boxes, do whatever you need to, but you're, you're coming with me. So there, there is an essence of flexibility there that we've built into the business that for us makes sense. Maybe not for everyone, but we're not trying to be the next Nike. We're not trying to be the next unicorn. We understand the value provided. We understand there's a huge opportunity there and we'll continue to have pretty big growth aspirations. But we also recognize that we have families now and that becomes a pretty big responsibility as well. Yeah, very cool. Very interesting. We touched on one book there being, well, actually two books, Traction, the EOS system, and then Phil Knight's uh, Shoe Dog. What else do you read? What else do you consume? Uh, I like to read a lot of business books. So we have the business book club. So once a month, you know, we go through different business books. Um, I'm reading a book called Corporate Turnaround Artistry right now. Not that we're in the need for a corporate turnaround, but it was just, I thought it was interesting. It talks a lot about that finance piece and how to kind of turn things around when things go wrong. Who Not How was another great one that I read recently. And then Goal was another one that I've read recently. All around kind of operations and finance. That's my role right now, kind of where I'm playing. But anything to do with business, anything to do with kind of self-help, self-improvement, that's my niche. And gotcha. there's, there's a lot on that list. Yeah. Want to share one to add to your list potentially? It's Chris Hadfield's book. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The the astronaut Chris Hadfield. And it's, yeah. I don't have it here right now, but astronauts are just like such a breed in themselves. Like it's table stakes to have a PhD. And what's more fascinating than, you know, doing a spacewalk on the exterior of a space station? Just crazy, right? So definitely add that to your list. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, man, we've ripped through an hour already. And so I want to look to wrap this up and what advice kind of final advice would you give for our listeners? And, you know, we definitely focused on entrepreneurship and small business. Any final thoughts you'd want to leave for our listeners? Yeah, I'll give a couple. So, I mean, I encourage people to start businesses, especially if they're young, right? That's the opportunity you have to take big swings. Start when you're young, take big swings, take big risks. You'll learn an incredible amount, not only about yourself, most importantly, you'll learn a lot about yourself because when you are going through those challenges and you're having those long days, you learn a lot about yourself uh, and what you're capable of, more importantly. But you also learn a lot about business. And if you can go into you know, any company and have on your resume a business, it, it gives you something to talk about. And it talks about the lessons that you've learned along the way. That's my recommendation for any of the younger listeners. For anyone who's maybe a little bit further in their career, you know, maybe they have a family, it's the opposite. Don't just jump into a business. There's a lot of advice out there about start a business, you'll get rich. That's how you built your wealth. And that absolutely can be the case, but it takes a long time to build up to get there, right? Working at the bank, I saw a lot of you know quite sad stories, to be honest, of people who poured their life savings into starting a business. And you know, within six months, they went under because they they didn't have the experience. They didn't plan accordingly. And, and it takes a lot of money to start a business. So unless you're willing to bootstrap, start small, invest every penny into the business and, and self-grow for years, it takes a lot of cash to get started. And so if you're you know, of our age, I recommend it, but plan accordingly, right? There is a component of, of taking care of yourself financially before you're really able to jump right into a business. So if that means saving up personally for a couple months expenses to be able to give yourself enough runway, so you're not having to pull as much cash out of the business to kind of sustain your lifestyle, 
that's an important thing to think about. But again, there was a lot of sad stories at the bank of seeing people who they, they took their life savings and someone gave them advice. They, oh yeah, start a business, you'll get rich. And it certainly wasn't the case. Yeah. feels awful hearing that. And, you know, to, to just build on your final advice, I think one thing that is uh, potentially applicable is going out there and before you even think to start, go out there and get yourself a few customers. Go Absolutely. out there and see what it's like to actually sell because it's a it's a very uncomfortable thing to do. And so, you know, take some knocks. And if you, if you land a few people because you've got a value proposition there, then maybe you're on to something. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is validate, right? A lot of times every business is just an assumption, right? We have an assumption that our clothes can fit into companies' ESG goals. That's our big assumption right now. We have no idea if that's true. So instead of taking the entire company's resources and focus on that, you know, we're going to talk to a bunch of companies first to understand if this is something that even matters. And same thing when you're first starting, right? We started on demand because we didn't want to invest in inventory to see if, if, people would actually buy these shirts. The amount of stories of people that we hear of, oh, I started a t-shirt company and I still have a box of stuff in my basement of t-shirts that never sold because people didn't want them. So there is, it's a really important piece to validate. And you know, I don't want to leave on a, a negative note of people losing their shirts, starting a business. There, there was a lot of people I saw at the bank that, that were very successful because they started a business. They left their careers to start a business and it was a success. But the biggest difference that I saw between the two was that those who were successful, they planned. They planned personally. They weren't really threading that needle crazy. They planned, they forecasted, they did their due diligence, they did their, their customer validation. They had a few customers and they were ready to go before they pulled the trigger, right? They'd been doing this for months and months and months before actually pulling the trigger. And business is absolutely a way to be able to generate wealth. But... It has its challenges, right? It's not going to happen overnight. So you've got to be patient and you've got to make sure that you're doing you're doing the right things. Dustin, this is really, really great, man. I'm, I'm glad that we connected. I'm glad that we had you on. Keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Greg. I appreciate you having me on. It's been great. So we're back. Dustin and I finished up and then I asked a question that I think we got to talk about. So the question was for Dustin, imposter syndrome, do you ever experience that? And so Dustin, what's your answer to this? Yeah, my answer was only every day. It's a constant battle. And and you talk to any entrepreneur and most people, unless they're a little bit of a sociopath, <laughs> they'll feel it too. I shouldn't say sociopath, maybe a bit more of a narcissist, but most people feel it. It's a struggle unless they've done some work to overcome it. And there, there's a lot to unpack there. But I think at the end of the day, you're throwing yourself into the unknown complete unknown, right? You've never done this before. It's new territory. And a lot of it stems from the fact that you have to grow every single day. You're constantly doing things that you're just unfamiliar with and you've never done it before. So why would you assume that you're good at it? And of course, you're always going to think more highly of others and less of yourself. And so within that nature, it's just a natural occurrence that happens to entrepreneur and it can be deadly. It's a really big challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. And, I, and also, no names yet, because I'm hoping to have this gentleman on the podcast, but he is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And in short, started an offsite with his team by saying, you have to understand that I have this, and I know you have this, being imposter syndrome, we all have this. And to hear that from somebody who has is you know serially successful and has made the kind of money that 
you know, many can only ever dream of. It's, you know, really powerful. And then I think to your point there, you know, we're, when you're constantly in a world of uncertainty, uncertainty, I think it manifests in a way of making you feel like you're not meant to be here, which is kind of a reality, right? When as humans, by nature, we don't want to be in dangerous or places that are unknown to us generally. So you get this, I'm not meant like comfort. Yeah. 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 So, well, that's sad. I really, I'm glad I asked and I'm glad you're just so forthcoming with it. And I think it's something that is helpful for us all to talk about. So Dustin, thanks again. It is. Yeah, of course. And I think, again, you're not alone. Everyone struggles from it. And, and I think knowing that too is, is comforting, but again, it's, you're constantly doing something you're, you're not familiar with. As you grow your business, you, you have to become someone different. And so, of course, as you move into that new person every so often, and, and if your company's growing faster, it's going to happen faster because you have to quickly become someone different so often. So it's this like stretching of yourself that's really uncomfortable and it just kind of naturally occurs. But I think it's important that we're, we're talking about these things. And I, I appreciate you asking that because not enough people talk about the downsides of entrepreneurship or owning a business. And mm. there's a lot. And I think it's important that people understand those before they take the leap. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.